0: Lord, we thank you for all that you're doing in our lives, Lord, we thank you for transforming us more and more into your image, into your likeness, Lord, that we would look like you, that we would reflect you back into the world, Lord, we thank you uh, for all that you're doing in us, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, if you don't know, my name is Josiah Webster, I'm one of the pastors on staff here, Uh, Pastor John and Pat and their families are um, on a family vacation um, so they are enjoying uh, the beautiful beaches of Hawaii uh, this week, so that's amazing for them. We are so excited. Um, I can't remember the last time that their entire family, Pastor Pat and Terry, their kids, grandkids, everybody got to go um, on a family vacation all together. Um, so they came from all over the, the world, actually, to come together. Um, and yeah, let's give it up. That's... Um, one of the things at Equipper is that we we really believe family comes first. This is it's not just something we say. It's not. Yes, if you're in junior high, um, you may leave and go. And this is actually my son's first day in junior high, which uh, I'm a little it's a little bittersweet. I didn't realize he was that old. <laughs> um, but like I said. Uh, Family, we really believe family comes first. Um, it's not just something we say. It's something that we try our best to live out. And so um, so you have me this morning, which I'm super excited. At. We get to finish off our Garden City series uh, that we have been uh, going over the last four or five weeks. We had a couple breaks with guest speakers and uh, family uh, worship Sunday last week. How many were here last week? Was that not one of the most incredible services? I've, at least for me, that was one of the most incredible services I've ever been a part of. Um, to see, you know, a whole family, you know, brothers and sisters get baptized, to see, um, you know, just to receive communion together, to to worship, to dedicate a baby. um, Just the whole Sunday for for me is just, it makes everything worth it. You know, I don't know how many of you know, we get here at 6.55 in the morning every Sunday to begin setting up. Um, And we love it. We have an amazing team that that comes, they're committed. Um, But sometimes it's easy just to get into the routine of, you know, I come, I show up, I set up, I do my part on a Sunday morning, um, tear down afterwards, get home, relax. And sometimes you just get in the routine. And it's weekends like last weekend that remind me of what we, why we do what we do, the lives that are changed, the people that are transformed, the, the testimonies that came out of that were just an incredible, incredible time. So um, like I said, I get to finish off our Garden City series, which uh, it's kind of based loosely on Garden City by John Mark Comer. He is a pastor up in uh, Portland, Oregon. If you are a reader, or even if you're not, I highly recommend this book. Um, pastor Don and I were talking before we started the series. Um, we really believe that this series, and the book in particular, can be one of the most transformational um, things that we've ever done as a church. It, um, at least for me, it's totally transformed my view of work, and rest, and life, and the future, and the past, and everything that um, God has been doing. Um, so like I said, we're going to finish it up today. Um, the, the, most of the series has been looking backwards. We look back to the garden, what God's original design was in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. Um, you know, we found out work rest, and the art of being human. You know, God blessed work because God worked, we work. God declared rest holy. God rests, so we rest. But that's all looking backwards, what God did in the garden, what God did in Genesis 1 and 2. Today, we're going to look to the future, what God's going to do. Because the Bible starts in a garden, but it ends in a garden city. The Bible starts in Genesis and ends in Revelation. The, the, the whole arc of Scripture is going somewhere. The earth creation, the God's good earth, God's good creation is going somewhere, and we as its stewards are helping to move it to where God has it going. So what starts in a garden ends in a garden city. Um. But before we do that, just a quick word that I'll kind of help lay the foundation for what we're going to talk about today. Um, We want to talk a little bit about Gnosticism, and that can sound like a big word, Um, but basically Gnosticism was this belief developed by Plato, uh, who was a Greek philosopher, and he believed that the material world was inherently evil, that matter, that um, our flesh, that our bodies, that... um, everything that was part of this material world was inherently evil, dark, sinful, and the whole point of his view of philosophy was to escape the natural world and become just an ethereal spirit. Um, And unfortunately, that view um, crept into early Christianity. Um, From the very beginning, this view of that there's this uh, dichotomy between the the spiritual world and the natural world crept into the church. Um, And so the apostle John... Uh, Who was one of the followers of the uh, the earliest followers of Jesus? And he wrote not only a biography about Jesus, but he wrote letters to different churches um, at the end of the first century. He hits this um, belief, this um, heresy head on. Uh, In John chapter 1, he talks about the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And so, the the very thing that the Gnostics believed was evil, flesh, Jesus, the light of the world, the, the God incarnate, comes down and takes on. Flesh. And so if God takes on flesh, flesh can't be inherently sinful because God is not sinful. And then in John, First uh, 1 John 1.1, 1, 1, he says, uh, We declare to you what we have seen from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. So here again, he's saying Jesus wasn't this uh, floating spirit that people thought, Oh, maybe he was really, you know, maybe he was real, maybe he wasn't. That's kind of what the Gnostics tried to say in Christianity, that God was, that Jesus was just this kind of floating spirit, kind of this projection of a human, but um, John is saying, no, we actually touched him, we saw him, we ate with him, we drank with him, we lived with him for three and a half years. And then in uh, 1 John 4, 2, it says, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And for us, we hear that and we're like, oh, you know, of course, like, Jesus Christ came in the flesh, but for A late first century Christian there was actually a a huge debate going on in that time about what the nature and character of Jesus was as Christianity began to spread outside of Jerusalem and outside of its early Jewish Christian context as it began to go into the Greek world and the Roman world there was debates about who Jesus really was because it was going to people that didn't actually see Jesus that didn't actually um, touch Jesus that didn't actually eat and drink and fellowship with Jesus and so John is saying, no, I, trust me, I'm an eyewitness, I saw what happened, I was there, I felt him, I, I saw him, he is real. And that is John's kind of uh, argument against Gnosticism. And, you know, we're, getting, we're coming into the Christian, the Christm- Christian, it's always Christian season. Um, we're coming into the Christmas season. Um, I know it's now November 4th, which, dear God, I can't believe it's already November 4th. Um, but um, we're coming into the Christmas season. I, how many of you already have your Christmas stuff up? Don't lie. There's, there's at least one person. Yes, okay, see? I knew there was at least one person out had their Christmas stuff up. <laughs> but the, in Christmas, we celebrate the incarnation, that God became flesh like we just read about. And the incarnation is God's massive no to Gnosticism that God took on flesh, that God became a baby, born of the Virgin Mary, he became human, saying no forever to the Gnostic belief that there's a dichotomy between the spiritual world and the natural world, that there is some difference between humanity and holiness, that they they are incompatible. So Jesus ate, drank, and slept as a human. Um, So the goal for us, or what we believe as Christians, it's not that we're going away to some utopia, but that God himself came down into the chaos to rescue us here and now. That we're not going somewhere, but heaven is coming here. That heaven came down, that Jesus left the glory of heaven to come down to earth to eat with us, to drink with us, and to rescue us out of the chaos. And un- But unfortunately, Gnosticism still infects us today. Um, we, especially in... Um, I'll teach you another word, uh, in our eschatology. And our eschatology is just our belief about the end times. And unfortunately, so much of Gnosticism has crept up into in, to our beliefs about the end times, about what's going to happen at the end of time. We sadly believe that the things have to get worse and worse and worse, and then God is going to come in, and he's going to pull us out and rescue us, and we're going to go to this heavenly bliss where we're disembodied spirits just floating around, and the earth is just going to burn and die. And unfortunately, that is not the Christian hope. That is has more to do with the Platoian Gnosticism than it does with the hope found in the New Testament that we're going to talk about today. Um, and then another part where it's crept in is in our hymns. Um, the, one of the most famous ones that kind of exemplifies this is, um, you know, uh, how's it go? Uh, this world is not my home, I'm just a passing through, my treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue, you know, in the sweet by and by, uh, in our Christmas carols, unfortunately, you know, uh, sweet, you know, little Lord Jesus, he's coming to take take me to where he is. Um, But that's not actually the Christian hope. The Christian hope is in resurrection. The Christian hope is in Jesus coming down into our earth, incarnate, and rescuing us here and now, to transform this world to look like heaven. It's not about us being saved to go somewhere. It's about us being saved here and now to bring heaven to earth. It's about us um, partnering with God in what he's doing on his good earth. Amen? So we're not created, saved to go to heaven when we die. We're, We're saved to bring heaven to earth, to answer the prayer of Jesus. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen? Okay. So, we're going to uh, read Romans 8, 19 through 25. There's going to be a little bit more uh, scripture reading today than there is sometimes, but, I, you know, the Bible speaks for itself. So, Romans 8, 19 through 25. For the creation, what waits? Creation. So, I'm going to say wait, I'm going to say what, and you say creation, okay? So, what waits? Creation. There we go. For creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. That's all of you. For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning in labor pains until now, and not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly while we wait for adoption, the redemption of our bodies." So we see here, Paul is talking about creation, he's talking about our bodies, he's talking about what Jesus did on the cross. Jesus at the cross wiped away sin, and the wages of sin is death. So at the cross, Jesus takes sin into himself, takes it down into hell, defeats it forever, rises again at the resurrection with a glorified, a renewed body, and he is the first fruits of all who will rise from the dead one day. And so what what Paul is saying is that creation itself is waiting, it's longing for redemption to come. And we are that redemption. It's waiting for us as children of God to grasp that there is not a dichotomy between this world and the next world, that there is not an inherent split between the natural and the spiritual, but that we are groaning together with creation for the revealing of ourselves in this natural world. All creations in our bodies hopefully wait for redemption. Hope is simply a new mode of knowing that it is possible. Everything is possible. I love, um, I think it was John Wheeler when he spoke here a couple years ago, he said, because Jesus rose from the dead, nothing is impossible. The thing that could not happen, that somebody that was dead came back to life, happened in Jesus of Nazareth, bodily rise from the dead, and because that happened, nothing is impossible ever again. We live in a new creation. We live in as part of this new creation. And then we're going to read Revelation 21 and 22. And did I forget to put that up there? I did. Sorry. Okay. I'm just going to read it. Just listen. Uh, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. Little backstory. This is the end of the last chapter, the last two chapters of the last book of the Bible. This is where everything is going. The entire trajectory of the Bible is going somewhere, and this is where it's going. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, see, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them as their God. They will be his peoples and God himself will be with him. Then verse 11, it is the great, the glory of God and a radiance like a very rare jewel, like jasper, clear as crystal. Its gates will never be shut by day. There will be no night there. People will bring into the glory and honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will enter it, nor anyone who practices abomination or falsehood, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city, On either side of the river is the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, producing its fruit each month, and the leaves of the trees are for the healing of the nations. Nothing accursed will be found there anymore, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. This is not about the end of the space-time universe, but about its radical healing. Hope is not about somewhere else, but about here and now. Heaven is not a future destiny, but another hidden dimension, God's dimension. And so um, the, the ancient uh, Hebrews didn't believe that there was heaven as in some radical far-off place, and then there was earth, and they were separated. What they believed is that heaven and earth were like parallel universes, essentially. That there was the domain of humans and the earth, um, and then there was the domain of God, and they were parallel universes. And at the, in the holy of holies, those two those two dimensions join together. And so the Holy of Holies was actually heaven on earth. But we believe that in Jesus, in his life, death, resurrection, and ascension, now the whole earth has become the Holy of Holies. That we pray that your kingdom your come, your your kingdom would come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So now the whole earth becomes that glimpse of where heaven can come to earth, where heaven and earth can touch. that it's not some far off place, some far off distant place. It's right here. It's, it's so near. It's just an alternate parallel universe and we get to tap into it and pull it down. God will remake, remake both heaven and earth like we read in uh, uh, Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. He will make both of them and he will join them together forever. These are, we are not ransom souls going to heaven but we are part of the new Jerusalem coming down to, to earth, uniting the two, and the alt, it is the alternate answer to your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Revelation ends not with us going to heaven, but about heaven's joining or invasion of the earth. Now, everybody pause. Take a deep breath. Breathe out. Now I want you to listen to me very carefully. I am not saying that we don't have souls. And I'm not saying there is not a heaven. Everybody clear? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Pastor Pat, uh, if you don't know, has more books on heaven than most people have books, period. Um, <laughs> so I am surrounded by, I'll just, there, I believe in heaven, I believe in that we have souls, that Jesus came to save us. But, I'm saying it's not, what we believe is not inaccurate, it's simply incomplete. That we believe in a two-step process, that we have a life here, and we die, and then we spend eternity in heaven or hell. That's merely incomplete. It's actually a three-step process in the New Testament. We have our life here now, we die, we go to heaven or Hades, whether we're in the body or out of the body, it's not. Clear, and then we come back to earth, the remade heaven and earth joined together, and we live forever on a remade earth. Does that make sense? Okay, so it's not a two step process. I live, I die, I go to heaven. It's I live, I die, I go to heaven, and then heaven, with me in it, comes back down to earth, the remade new heavens and new earth. Uh, What NT writes. N.T. Wright calls it life after life after death. We think of just life after death, but it's really life after life after death. I got a drink after that. So, unfortunately, our missing step is resurrection. The ultimate Christian hope is not heaven, but bodily Resurrection. What God did in Jesus on that first Easter, he is in the process of doing to the whole world. And our mission is to go into the world and proclaim that what God did in Jesus, the new creation that God instituted in that garden that first Easter morning, when Jesus rose out of the tomb with a new, glorified, renewed body, he is planning to do first in our bodies and then ultimately throughout the whole world. We are the first fruits. We're the forerunners of what God wants to do to the whole world. This is the grand rejection of Gnosticism. We are not separated from the world but the heaven comes down to earth. And when I was preparing this message yesterday, trying to wrap my head around it, I read it to Jessica, my wife, and She's like, that was good, but you read way too much. And so I really tried to brain it in, take down quotes, break them down into just ideas. Um, but there were, there were two quotes by N.T. Wright in his book, Surprised by Hope, uh, which yeah, I guess I'm just throwing out book recommendations today. But if you want, the kind of the foundation of this message is Garden City and then also Surprised by Hope by N.T. Wright, um, which is an amazing book. Um, but there are two quotes by him that I They were just too good to pass up. So this is the first quote. It says, The point of this is that a proper grasp of the surprising future hope held out to us in Jesus Christ leads directly and to many people, myself included as I was reading this, equally surprising to a vision of the present hope that is the basis of all Christian mission. To hope for a better future in this world for the poor, the sick, the lonely, and depressed for the slaves, the refugees, the hungry, and the homeless, for the abused, the paranoid, the downtrodden, and the despairing, and in fact, for the whole wide, wonderful, and wounded world, is not something else, something extra, something tacked on to the gospel as an afterthought. And to work for that intermediate hope, the surprising hope that comes forward from God's ultimate future into God's urgent present, is not a distraction from the task of mission and evangelism in the present. It is a central, essential vital, life-giving part of it. So when we grasp this, that we are not um, just going to live this life and Jesus saved a little part of me to go to heaven later and then it's all good. If I can grasp that, no, God is saving me for the here and now to be the first fruit of what he wants to do to the whole world. That I will go to heaven when I die and then eventually as part of heaven I come back down to a remade earth It radically changes how I view both this life and the life to come. I no longer view the plight of the sick and the dying and the broken in this world as merely something that I need to go and preach the gospel to them so that way they can get saved. No, I see their plight as part of the destructive pattern of sin in this world that has robbed people of their dignity, of their life, of their hope. And I get to go as part of new creation and and yell from the rooftops, that death has been defeated, that sin is no more, and that we can step into new creation, that we can step into that hope, that the the hungry are fed, that the poor are taken care of, that the homeless have a place to sleep. This is part of the grand Christian hope of resurrection and new creation. And so, amen. So this has radical implications. So what is new creation actually going to look like? Uh, We believe that what began on Easter is actually happening in the whole world. But what does a garden city actually look like? Like we talked about at the beginning, the creation is going somewhere. What started in a garden is ending in a garden city, but it looks like something. And the Jewish Hebrew prophets have so many beautiful pictures of what that looks like, and we're going to look at one of them today. Excuse me. In Isaiah 65, he says, For I am about to create new heavens and new earth. There's that same language again. The former things shall not be remembered or come to mind, but be glad and rejoice." forever in what I am creating. For I am about to create Jerusalem as a joy and its people as a delight. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and delight in my people. No more shall the the sound of weeping be heard in it or the cry of distress. No more shall there be in it an infant that lives but a few days or an old person who does not live out a lifetime. For one who dies at a hundred years will be considered a youth and the one who falls short of a hundred will be considered accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be, and my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity. They shall be offspring, blessed by the Lord, and their descendants as well. Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall feed together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox, but the serpent, its food shall be dust. And they shall not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain, says the Lord. Amen and amen. So this was the vision that the prophet Isaiah had. He begins, he writes this beautiful poem about what new creation is going to look like. And we can read that and we can, you know, oh, that's beautiful, like, just so poetic, but that stuff actually means something. So here are some, I think, some keys that what new creation looks like. In new creation, there's celebration and joy. It says Jerusalem as a joy and his people as a delight. That there's health and safety for the vulnerable, for children and the elderly. There's not going to be an infant that dies young. There's not going to be an old person who doesn't live out the full number of their days. There's housing and food for all. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. There's prosperity and security. There's an absence of violence. There's neighborhood community. In Zechariah 8, 4, and 5, this is, I love this. It says, Old men and old women shall again sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each with a staff in hand because of their great age. And the streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in its streets. And I I read that and I always think about those old pictures of like New York in the 20s where everybody's out there and the old men are playing checkers and the women are talking and the kids are playing in the street. Like that's a vision of what heaven is going to look like. That's a vision of what new creation looks like. In new creation there's intimacy with God. There's prosperity and beauty. There's wealth, splendor, and purity. There's environmental health and healing for people's bodies. There's acknowledgement of God and of Jesus. So a biblical vision of God's will done on earth as in heaven. In a city is this. There's knowledge of God, there's acknowledgment of Jesus. There's housing for all, owned, safe. There's prosperity, businesses succeeding and secure. There's food for all. There's care for the vulnerable, the children, the elderly. There's celebration, creativity, arts. There's safety, there's no violence. There's joy, there's peace, there's neighborhood community. The natural environment gets incorporated. There's a garden, there's rivers. This is what it looks like to live in new creation. And we, as Christians, are called to live this out here now in every city, in every region that we're called to care for. This is our hope. My hope is not that I pray a prayer and a little part of me gets flipped, a little bit gets flipped, and then when I die, I go to heaven, and ooh, everything's done. No, my hope, the Christian hope, is that Jesus, because death is defeated, because sin is no more, that I begin to live this out everywhere that I am. That I begin to work to to share knowledge of God and acknowledgement of Jesus with everybody that I know. That I work towards housing for all. That I work for joy and peace in my community. That I work for safety. That I work for creativity in the arts. This is the Christian hope. This is what we are called as Christians to be a part of. This is what we are called as Christians to, to, to push into the world, to speak into the world, to, to live into the world. This is what our, our hope is. This is what we are called to do. And unfortunately, in... Unfortunately, especially in the West, especially in America, we have been hijacked into thinking that we have to vote a certain way to get this to happen. But as Christians, we don't vote for this to happen. We sacrifice for this to happen. We live for this to happen. We lay our lives down in self-sacrificial love for this to happen. Now, do we vote? Do we do all that? Yes. But that is not our ultimate hope. Who wins on Tuesday is not where my ultimate hope lies. My ultimate hope is not in who's in the White House. My ultimate hope is that there is a lamb slain from the foundation of the world that is sitting on a throne in heaven, and he is Lord. Because Jesus is Lord, Caesar is not. This was the radical declaration of the early church. This is what got them martyred. They didn't get martyred because they believed that when you pray to prayer, You flipped a switch and you were going to heaven. They believe that because Jesus is Lord, Caesar is not. And every uh, death-dealing law of Caesar that dehumanized people should be opposed and pushed back on because it doesn't reflect the vision of new creation in the here and in the now. That's what got them killed because they, they dare to say that there was another God but Caesar, that there was another Lord but Caesar. And we can hear that and we can think, oh yeah, of course, but I'll tell you, Jesus is president, the president is not. Jesus is the senate, the senate is not. Jesus is the lord of the whole earth. Period. End of story. It does not matter who's in the White House. It does not matter who our representatives are. Yes, we vote. Yes, we work for it. But my political party and this don't always line up. And when that happens, I have to choose where my allegiance lies. Does my allegiance lie... With a political party, or does my allegiance lie with the Lamb of God, slain from the foundation of the sin, slain for sins from the foundation of the world? Where does my allegiance lie? And I can make the same argument for both on the left and the right. Both sides have laid down their baptismal identity at the idol of political power. Both sides. And so whatever you identify with, if you identify uh, towards the right, if you identify towards the left, I should take whatever platform that party has and I should affirm what I believe is part of God's new creation and I should challenge, challenge what I believe is death dealing, period. It doesn't matter which party it is. It, It applies to both. Not one party has the monopoly on Christian values. Not one party has a monopoly on new creation. Amen? Okay, I was not planning to go there, but I did, and I hope you all have grace for me. Um, so Jesus is already, this is it, Jesus is already Lord of the whole world, and we are to manifest that lordship. To not work towards this is to collude with Gnosticism is to collude with what we talked about earlier, that there is this dichotomy, this split between heaven and earth, between the natural and the spiritual. Okay, so I want to give you four keys for what our work does as we begin to work towards new creation. And we'll go through these pretty quick, and then we will be done for the night, the day. Wow, it's not night. I didn't (laughs) preach that long. Sorry. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, so the first one, good work is worthwhile even if it's just for this age, with no bearing on the age to come. As we talked about earlier, what we, what we do in this life has implications for the next life, but good work is worthwhile even if it's just for this age. Doing your job to the best of your ability is worth it, period. Work that is an act of worship, an act of love and service, is enough. It's not a means to an end. And as Christians, we believe that the ends don't justify the means. That how we get somewhere is just as important as where we're going. Means don't justify an end for a Christian. But the good news is, is that good work is both the means and an end. It's just beautiful because it's beautiful. And, (laughs) wow. Um, So uh, when I was Ron Swanson on, on Wednesday, I printed up, he has this, like, pyramid of success that he developed that people should follow. And one of them is, it says, wooden sailing ships. And then underneath the, the subheading is, because they're beautiful. Some things just are beautiful, and that, that's okay. They're just beautiful. Um, the next one. Our work in this life is practice for our work in the coming life. So it is both and. It is both that our work is valuable because it's work in this life, but it's also that our work is practice for the life to come. You take the person that you are into the next life. It's your most valuable asset. Paul talks about that when we get to the end of the age, that we are tested by fire, and wood, hay, and stubble are burned away, but what we've built with gold, with precious silver and jewels is taken with us into the next life. So what we build in ourselves, what we build that looks like Jesus, what we allow the Holy Spirit to do in us that looks like heaven gets to go there. That looks like new creation gets to be part of that new creation. So our work in this life is practice for our work in the coming life. And here's the mind-blowing thing. Some of our good work that we do will actually last into the next world, like we just talked about. In Revelation 21, it talks about that the nations bring their splendor into new creation, into New Jerusalem, that the nations of the earth somehow, some way, bring the glory and splendor of their nation, of their culture, into new creation. And the way i look at it is anything that has been built that looks like new creation anything in our culture that looks like heaven it it goes there it gets redeemed it gets refined it gets you know renewed but it ends up there because around the throne there is every nation every tongue every tribe and i don't think as much as i love our worship i don't think that every tongue every tribe and every nation is going to be singing the songs we sang this morning I think the songs we sing this morning are part of it, but they are not the whole. There's a whole spectrum, a whole kaleidoscope of worship that is going to happen around the throne. And that is because culture is blessed by God. Yes, there are things in culture that are evil and demonic and are fueled by death, but there are things in every culture of the world where there's beauty, where there's life, where there's love that is at the core of that. And that is what will end up in heaven. Culture will be purified and transfigured. Okay. Last last big quote, every act of love and gratitude and kindness, every work of art or music inspired by the love of God and delight in the beauty of his creation, every minute spent teaching a severely handicapped child to read or to walk, every act of care and nurture, of comfort and support for one's fellow human beings, and for that matter, one's fellow non-human creatures. And of course, every prayer, all spirit-led teaching, Every deed that spreads the gospel, builds up the church, embraces and embodies holiness rather than corruption, and makes the name of Jesus honored in the world, all of this will find its way through the resurrecting power of God into the new creation that God will one day make. That is the logic of the mission of God. God's recreation of his wonderful world, which began with the resurrection of Jesus and continues mysteriously as God's people live in the risen Christ and in the power of his Spirit means that what we do in Christ and by the Spirit in the present is not wasted. It will last all the way into God's new world. That, to me, is such a sobering and humbling and beautiful thought. When I read that yesterday, I just, I just broke down, crying, realizing that I have a friend, and she works with special needs kids, and we were talking about... Um, just God in the workplace and different things, and she said, you know, it, it, it's hard for me because I'm legally not allowed to ever talk about God in my workplace. And I, I read that quote and I think of her. That said, every act where she helps a child's parent who's so frustrated by the system, by the politics of the system, that their child can't learn correctly because their child doesn't look like every other child, every hour that she spends with those parents lasts into the next life. It's such a beautiful, beautiful way to live. That what I do actually matters. That what I do lives on past me. And one of my favorite movies growing up was Gladiator and In one of the first scenes, he he yells out, what we do today echoes through eternity. And it's true. What you do has implications for all of eternity. The last one. Good work. Know that all the good work done in this age will be rewarded in the age to come. How we live now affects eternity. Not in a stuff way, but in a responsibility way. One of my favorite and least favorite Parables that Jesus tells is the parable of the minas. He tells about this landowner that's going away, and so he gives different talents to different people. And whoever, you know, so he gives one, three, and five. And he comes back, and he goes to the first one that had five, and he asks, you know, what did you do with the, the five talents I gave you? And he said, well, I took the five, and I I got you five more. And he said, well done now you can rule over five cities same with the 3 and then the one ultimately doesn't actually he just buries it in the ground and doesn't do anything but how that those servants dealt with their five talents determined what they would rule over and in the kingdom reward for a job well done is more responsibility but it's more responsibility in a uncursed world where I get a partner with God in beauty and responsibility. You know, and I think about like I said, my son's getting ready to or is in junior high this morning and it hit me the other day that he turned eleven in October and in five years he'll be able to get his license. I didn't laugh. I think I started crying, or I might have thrown something. Um, One of those two. It wasn't a pretty picture. But the reward for getting your license is the responsibility to go to the store and pick up milk when your dad doesn't want to. All rewards in the kingdom come with responsibility, because your reward is not just for you. Your reward Is a blessing on you for the whole world just like Abraham God says I'm going to bless you because through you I'm going to bless the whole world and if you look at it like a prism or um, so you you shoot a a beam of light into a prism and then it expands out into all the different colors that's what our lives are supposed to be the light of the kingdom is supposed to hit our lives and expand out into every realm of society So it's curse-free work and responsibility. So don't give up. So let's go over those one more time. Good work is worthwhile even if it's just for this age with no bearing on the age to come. Our work or our lives, I know work sometimes people can be like, well, what's my work? Just your life, but it's also your work. (laughs) It's both. Our work in this life is practice for our work in the coming life. Some of the good work we do now will actually last into God's new world. And know that all the good work done in this age will be rewarded in the age to come. If somebody wants to come play the keys, that would be great. So we are people of the future, in the present. New creation is here, and it starts with us. We are saved as wholes, not as merely souls. Not for us alone, but for God to work through us, to be a sign and a foretaste of what God will do in the whole cosmos. It's not just a sign, but we're the means to what God will do in the whole cosmos. The essence of following Jesus is using our whole lives to cooperate with Heaven's invasion of Earth. This is why you were saved. You weren't saved for a privatized, individualized ticket to Heaven. You were saved because God wants to invade Earth with Heaven. What Jesus did on Easter morning when he stepped out of that tomb, new creation happened. I love in one of Paul's letters, he says, if anyone is in Christ, and we normally translate that, he is a new creation, but that's not actually what it says. It says, if anyone is in Christ, pause, new creation. Because as soon as you step into Christ, you step into new creation. That just like we talked about in the beginning, just like in Genesis 1, where we were made in the image of God to reflect him back to himself in worship and into the world as stewards. When we are reborn in Christ, we become just like Adam was, to take a garden, a wilderness, and make it into a city. So I want, as we're ending tonight to today, like I keep saying tonight. Time change messed me up. I woke up this morning, I was like, what time is it? And I realized it was, it was six o'clock to my body, but it was five o'clock to the alarm. So I didn't go back to sleep. Um, so two parts. One, I want us to repent where we've held Gnosticism in our hearts, in our minds, in our theology, where we've thought That there was a separation between this life and the next life, where we've held a separation between the spiritual and the natural, where we've held a separation between heaven and earth, that these are two things that are incompatible, rather than seeing them as interlocking holes that God wants to bring together. So let's close our eyes, bow our heads. if that's you and you've been hearing this message and you feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit that this is something that you've struggled with, that you've realized I haven't had a holistic view of what my life is supposed to be like, of what I was saved for. We weren't just saved from sin, we were saved for God's mission into the world. And you want to recommit your life, your whole life to God to Jesus as Lord. Will you raise your hand? We're just going to pray together. This is not just I'm praying a prayer so I can go to heaven. This is I am praying a prayer. I am committing to being part of new creation here and now. That my life matters. That my life has meaning beyond just where I go when I die that I am enlisting myself into God's mission in the world. And this doesn't matter if you've been saved for a day or you've been saved your whole life. This is making a fresh commitment to live out the mission of God. Lord, you see our hearts, you see our hands. Lord, we say, here I am, send me. I want to be your ambassador of new creation. I want to be the forerunner, the first fruits of what you're doing in the world. That I will proclaim new creation wherever I go, to my family, on my job, in my school, that new creation is here now, that the old way is gone, that death has been defeated, that sin is no more, and that we can live in that life, that joy and that peace. In Jesus' name, amen. And then the the last thing I want to leave you with is this is a a biblical vision of God's will done on earth as in heaven in a city. Where on this list do you see yourself? What, when you read, does your heart skip a beat? How can you begin to bring new, new creation to bear here and now? Ultimately, God will remake heaven and earth. But in the meantime, we get to work towards that. So what is what in this? Do you find a heart for? And I'm gonna leave this up as as we close today and as we leave. I would challenge you this week to look at to find one of these and ask the Holy Spirit practically, what's one thing you can do this week, this month for that? Is it food for all? Then I'm sure there are places in this in this county. Where they will be feeding the homeless for Thanksgiving. Volunteer. Is it celebration, creativity, and the arts? You know, I love some of our friends just started a Monday, uh, I think they call it Monday Makers. And it's just a way for children to express their creativity on Monday nights at, a, at somebody's house. Maybe it's that. Maybe it's joy and peace, and you know somebody that's in a not peaceful situation, and you can go and you can bring heaven to bear in that situation. You begin to work for peace rather than discord. Whatever it is, begin to work towards that this week because that's ultimately what we're called to. And just a quick note about new heavens and new earth, and you know, sometimes our minds can't grasp what that means because we're ch- transforming and changing. And you know, I know for me, I'm reading all this and I'm like, what does it actually mean? What does it look like? But here's what I know. Jesus in a body died on Good Friday. He was buried. He was dead. Three days later, he rises from the dead with a resurrected body. And what God did in Jesus on that Good Friday or Easter Sunday morning, God is going to do for the whole world. That he is going to take our bodies, he is going to take our world, and he is going to renew it, to re-transform it into his original design. So we don't know exactly what that looks like, but we know that that's what God has called us to do. That's what God has called us to live in. Amen?